Roman. We're back live. Hey, buddy. I'm so sorry about that. No, that's okay. Is everything cool? Uh, fingers crossed. It'll be all right. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's, you know, crappy internet, I guess. Um, but, you know, we'll soldier through it. Still sounds a little bit rough, but we'll, who knows? Oh, sounds fine on my end. Okay, cool. Well, um, the comic book characters that were contained in this dome that's in the real world and it's leaking it in our world actual comic creators um and that's and that's really ramping up especially they still got the prison i don't know who this guy is i feel like i should remember who he is from previous issues director pendleton but i don't yeah hey roman i'm gonna pause you real quick okay this is just falling apart gosh okay it was falling apart there i don't know we're gonna see if we can get it to come back but it's not working well um actually roman i'm gonna i'm gonna cancel this and then have you rejoin okay okay oh okay Okay, sorry. Listen, listen very hard. I think that's the, the the sound of falling precious snow. And is that Christmas bells? Do you hear sleigh bells off in the distance, Roman? Oh my gosh, it's it, the magic is happening. And upon my roof, I think I hear that sounds a little bit like the hoofbeats of reindeer. Hoofbeats, hoofbeats, Roman. Here we are, end of season one of the perfectly acceptable podcast, twenty twenty ones final episode of the year episode 251 roman as we sit down here on our christmas yule logs and i'm sipping my nutmeg cocktail the dog tail cock nog um and we're just we're just gonna wind this year down how do you feel about it i i can't believe it's what it's the end of a year already it's the end of a year already yeah 2021 just it, it it just went by it scurried past a little squirrel feet and it's almost gone oh my gosh and if you listen dear listener you can hear the sound of santa's bowl full of jelly laughing in the background of everything that we say although it'll be a little bit less laughter this week because Django is far away there's some rhyming going on here this is almost like a christmas i am always in jeff <laughs> i'm roman and you guessed it it's a comic book podcast that loves christmas or at least anywhere i go i have enough christmas enthusiasm for the two or three people around me that don't have it but right now it's comic books but it will be christmas shortly we're here to talk about a bunch of the good stuff that came out this week roman and i run a comic shop in bellingham washington with our dear uh partner django who is somewhere right now i think he's in oregon or california or you know, the, the, the underworld, wherever he goes. Somewhere um, he's zipping through the sky in a sleigh. Zippy somewhere. He's zippy somewhere. Um, but we are going to talk about comics and the comings and goings of our lives and the comic shop. Well, we're going to do it in a very wonderful, loving, fartless manner today because we have nobody who will be uh, interjecting to burp and fart left and right. Although we will be having a special guest to join us for Buckshots later. We'll see if they pack any pack any Django-isms with them. 
Jimmy Stewart's going to be here. Sweet. Oh, that's a great segue for what our first book is going to be, but I won't spoil that quite yet. I'm going to get into what I imagine is an email from our good friend, William William Wellmer. Uh, Area code 251 contains the entire population of Mobile, Alabama. Jeff Tangent. Stuck inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Um is what that made me think of Bob Dylan. As most of us know, Mobile is the hometown of Mr. Forrest Gump, played by Sir Thomas Hanks. In the movie, we follow Forrest's life throughout the years as his life intertwines with various notable events throughout history. We have all also been reading Spider-Man Life Story and Fantastic Four Life Story that are more like Forrest Gump than I realized before beginning this email, which ultimately has led me to my question of the week. Which other characters from Marvel, DC, etc. would you love to see another Life Story series about? And what major historical events would you be excited to see them intertwined with? Hugs and kisses. P.S. I would love to take another crack at a buckshot one of these days. Maybe I can keep it under 90 seconds this time. Maybe that's a spoiler about who our guest this <laughs> evening is. Um, that's a great question. So for anybody who doesn't know right off the bat, the Life, life Story uh, series that Marvel has been putting out has had Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. And it starts with the origin of those characters at the time that would have been existing. And then it moves them forward through time. And they actually age with the changing of events. So it's a pretty cool idea for a medium that generally has people encapsulated in amber preventing large scale time growths, unless you're Dan Slott aging the fantastic four children. I'm upset with you, Dan. Um, that's a fun question. What do you think, Roman? Can you think of anybody you would like to? I mean, I think the Fantastic Four was a really good one to have done after that Spider-Man one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, oh, geez, there's various ones. I think it would be fun to do Jess with Ben Grimm. Ooh. Um, partly, partly because I'm just very curious what a what a like senior citizen thing would be like. <laughs> okay. And when would he reach that point? <laughs> senior I mean, citizen. It would be a long time away, Roman. We'd be yeah. <laughs> thousands of years in the future at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Howard the Duck would be kind of cool though, in a way, maybe not. Cause I mean, Steve Gerber, I don't know. Maybe Steve Gerber kind of did that in a way anyway. I, so technically the Hulk was done by gamma radiation, but I can't help but think about like if he was tied to nuclear radiation or something, but I think it'd be interesting to watch a Hulk series where he's hit by whatever bombs are sort of testing at that time. But if you could kind of tie him to like, you know, if maybe he had been made by the first testings of the nuclear bombs instead, then watching him kind of age along with the development of nuclear weapons and sort of tie his existence with the idea of that type of weaponing together as warfare evolves, maybe he would become embedded in that cause or in like, relations between countries or something but i think there'd be kind of a cool if he became some sort of poster child for the byproducts of nuclear warfare and I, something about that would be kind of neat yeah. because we view those sorts of weapons much different now but maybe if we were using hulk instead of nuclear weapons would be the essential thing is yeah. using nuclear weapons because he can do the same thing he's created by the byproduct of it he's almost like he is the continued lineage of a nuclear weapon mm. that would be cool yeah Maybe we should write a story. It could, it could, yeah, you could do a lot of characters very interesting, interestingly this way. Mm. Oh, you could do the Punisher. Oh, but no, we don't need to have a pun because that's already John Rambo's. <laughs> that's true. Although I do love when Garth Ennis goes back to his origin and really ties it into like a Vietnam context more mm. so than a, uh, you know, the other the other type of just Punisher bad boy context. Listen, yeah. we're gonna, we're going to talk about some comics this week, dear friends. We're going to talk about. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, 2021 Annual, Devil's Reign, number one, Batman, 118, Joshua Williamson's first issue on the book, Inferno, number three, Hellions, number 18, our little X-Men corner, Crossover, number 10, 
one star squadron, and then it's going to be time for Buckshot. Before we get into all of that, Roman, I read a little something. I read a little something. What was a little something you read? I read Archie's Holiday Magic Special One Shot. Sweet. I like that cover. Yes. Great cover. Uh, A sort of crew of people, a framing device written by Mikul Ostow with line art by Greta Lusky, story by Jay Torres, Mikul Ostow, and Michael Northrup with various artists in there. I had to do it and I had to put it in here because, you know, we're going out on a high note for the holidays. We all love Archie. I guess we all love Archie. That's the main thing I walk away from with any Archie book, Roman, is why Archie? Like, was there some point in American history where like a befreckled, short-haired, orange teen boy was the height of what it was? Just like pale white skin, just like perma, you know, on the verge of a sunburn. What? Why is Veronica and Betty both fawning over him? I don't. I guess because he he was America's. teenage uh, not sweetheart he was the he was he was the he he embodied the typical supposedly typical american teenager huh of the 40s and 50s well why so what happened teenager. to all those redheads <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know why they decided to make him a make him a ginger originally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i just that's yeah. the thing I'm, anytime i read an archie book i'm like why is this why is this the person that He's yeah, kind of dumb. He's kind of. <laughs> I wonder if like one of his creators was also a redhead. Because I, because because I, I don't, I could have this totally wrong, but I feel like in the, especially in the forties, and I don't know that maybe redheads were picked on even more than I think they are by all children in all eras. But it seems like in the past they would have been even more for some reason. <laughs> Which brings us to our next point. Roman and I are starting a podcast tracing the uh, the anthropological the history of redheads in American culture and the the social factors that they've played. Roman and I are really excited about that. Uh, the redheaded sermon on the mount is what we're going to be calling it. This book is like a mashup of two Christmas stories that I love. It's like a Christmas Carol and it's a wonderful life. Archie starts going, Oh, well, guys, I don't know. I think I maybe it would all be better if I'd never been born. Um, and and then a little fairy's like, Well, I don't know about that, Archie, and then that shows him the ghost of Archie when he's young, tells a story then. Archie when he's in high school and then jumps to the future where he's been gone from Riverdale for forever and he comes back and I heard about that one and I was like oh there's a futuristic story where it talks about him kind of seeing Betty and Veronica so that's why I wanted to read it and he comes back and he's like oh gosh oh shucks oh man oh and uh talks to Betty and Betty's like yeah you're great and then Veronica's like yeah you're great and then he ends up in the same damn place where he can't choose between these two wonderful women <laughs> And it's like nothing happened, but <laughs> there was Christmas carols and snow and Christmas trees the whole time. And I got to whip out my really bad Jimmy Stewart impression. And that's that a great Jimmy Stewart impression. Thanks, Love it. bud. You just got to try and pretend you're avoiding marbles rolling out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, oh, I got to keep those things in there. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it doesn't sound like someone could have marbles in their mouth and smoke cigarettes at the same time. It. It was pretty good, though. I always like an excuse to check in with Archie's stuff. It kind of amazes me when I think back on like, do you remember like six years ago when they like rebooted Archie with Mark Wade writing it and Fiona Staples doing the art? It was like we were going to make Archie cool again. And now we're just back to like dinky ass (laughs) freckled loser Archie being the most wholesome guy. If anyone knows what it is about Archie, could you call us and tell us? 
you could send a voicemail yeah. or an yeah. email. What I wonder. I wonder if when Archie was created, I mean that, and I could have this totally wrong too. But I, in my head, I'm thinking was Andy Rooney was one of the really super popular actors, and I think isn't wait Andy Mickey Rooney. Rooney? Mickey Rooney, God, Andy Rooney, that's the guy from 60 Minutes. <laughs> the old the old dude. I no, only Mickey know Rooney. Andy Rooney or Mickey Rooney is an old dude. Yeah, Mickey Rooney. Well, he was young and a and a super popular actor back then. And I wonder if he's actually a redhead. Maybe he was part of the inspiration for Archie. I don't know. Roman, anytime you can, you start to talk about the influence <laughs> that Mickey Rooney has had on American culture. It's like you got to have a different podcast about Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Um, and then a third one about Andy Rooney. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about Andy. I would be your first <laughs> listener. Uh, I, so, you know, I just wanted to open with that holiday magic special. I wanted there to be a lot more Christmas books this week, and there there weren't. Yeah, I'm surprised. That, I mean, because even longer ago than the Mark Wade run, they did that, you know, Archie in the Future series or one where he was Happily with Betty and one, yeah, and one where he was with, with Veronica and had children. And sounds like this didn't even... Didn't put, even go put that, that much effort into it. <laughs> no, and then he wakes up at the end and, and they're like, yeah, you've been making people happy with Christmas your whole life. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and I'm always like, Archie, you chowderhead. I mean, yeah, Classic Betty, Archie language. Betty and like Veronica. That. Yeah, Betty and Veronica are both great. But of course, go for Betty. I mean, come on. <laughs> I get it. But Veronica is gorgeous. Yeah, and she's rich. Oh. But Betty is so nice. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it embedded in that question is this idea of Veronica, the rich, beautiful person that's out <laughs> of his class, or Betty, the you know wonderfully girl next door type. And obviously, he's got to go to the one that's the girl next door. Yeah. Plus, she can she can fix your car. And... I forgot about that. This is a really dumb conversation we're having now. I was... gave that book a seven and a half. It was that's cool. I, I it was fun. I, well, I'd kind of like to read it. Was was the the Archie and the youth? Was that little Archie? Um, not like little Archie Archie. Oh, okay. Like, but uh, just cute little guy. You know, drawn like oh a, you oh know. yeah. Okay. You know, it's got young Veronica and she's calling him Archiekins even in that. All right, but let's get to the actual Aww. meat and potatoes of this show. Yeah, Jeffykins, let's get to it. Oh, and Romy Poo. <laughs> uh, side note, in Ugh. Roman, in my phone, Roman is Romedog, R-O-M-E. And every time I try to send him an invitation for this podcast, I type in R-O-M-E because he's Romedog in my phone. And uh, it, that your email is not, doesn't have Roman in it. That's neither here <laughs> nor there. Superman, son of Kal-El Annual, Tom Taylor, Steve Pew and another artist I have to check Ew. into. Um, yeah, Clayton Henry. Artist. Yeah, yeah. So, but, Roman, I sent you a e uh, text and I was like, hey, you know, is there anything good this week? I got to make sure and read. And you were working. So you sent like a quick, you were like, kind of some of the usual stuff. But you said Superman. I believe you said this one. And I was yeah. a little surprised because to this point, you and I have both been kind of on record as this being our least favorite of the Tom Taylor series coming out. I would mm -hmm. think, I think we've not loved the art on it and it has felt just kind of thin. Um, yeah. But this one was easily my favorite issue of the series so far. And to have it be an annual was surprising to me. What was, is that where you were coming in hot on this as well? Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. This was my favorite issue. And somehow while I was reading, I didn't notice that it was a thicker than usual issue. I didn't realize it was the annual till after I finished yeah. reading it. Cause I was really excited. I was like, Oh, is this the new art team? This is great. This is so much better than all the previous issues. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It's like a double size issue. And so what do you think it was about this that made it so much better than the other one? And again, I, the art probably has a ton to do with this. Steve Pugh is awesome. So the whole thing, the character work, like the art, 
I think is a huge step up. Do you think there's anything story-wise yeah. going on here that separated it? The art's a huge step up, but yeah, I thought the story was um, just, and, and the same writer, Tom Taylor, but I thought the story was a little more cohesive, um, a little more interesting than in individual issues. And the individual issues, I mean, each one has had at least one or two moments I really liked, mm -hmm. but, oh, but it's only like one or two moments per issue. And everything in this I liked. I mean, he, um, John Kent, Superman, uh, confronts Luther and he just has this a different way of of interacting with luther luther than his dad does um john's not i don't know not quite as he's altruistic but he's not as willing to be fair to luther as mm -hmm. as his dad is and that was i don't know i really appreciate that it was refreshing it was new it was it was very it's nice to see the son of superman who has his own distinct personality and way of approaching things that's still heroic and still noble but different than his dad yeah the whole issue kind of frames around the idea that lex luther has escaped from prison and is now you know kind of on the uh, rising to villainous prominence again but it's the first time that john's really interacting with him but the first eight or so pages set up this wonderful bit between you know uh kal-el superman and lex luther the stages just are the dynamic of their relationship and then we spend a bulk of the issue of well, the rest of it with john and then it climaxes with the scene with lex luther but ev i think your point is exactly on every single scene i enjoyed being a part of whereas in the other ones there's one or two bits but the superman scene with lex and then when john like when bruce shows up and he's like i'll take earl gray tea if you've got it and he's like of course we've got it and it turns out uh, alfred has made it so everywhere bruce might go gets a monthly delivery of earl gray tea so that like just little touches like that are what i think tom taylor does so well with comic books is he he has a very kind of like a jeff johns thing to him he has a clear love for these characters but he also yeah. likes to play with them in a new way so there's a, a kind of donny cates thing going on but i think that it has an even more reverence for the comic like the, the character's that came before it than like a Donny Cates does. Then yeah. the bit where he catches the polar bear. Oh, it was so <laughs> cute. He saves a polar. I love animals. So yeah. Yeah. The pregnant polar bear. That was great. And I love the fact that, that uh, Kal-El just like his father had done for him. Kal-El has used one of those Kryptonian crystals to make an, you know, an interactive recording that he left for his sons to, so he can still talk to and, and provide some guidance Such to his kid cool when he's idea. away. That's like, Oh, I love that kind of, continuity that earlier scene and again the artwork that panel where um lois tells batman that alfred always sent sent a shipment every month and just the way the artist drew the expressions on each of their faces and bruce kind of looks away but he has that tight that little bit of a tight smile because he yeah. didn't know alfred did that yeah and it's just the kind of thing Alfred would always do <laughs> um that's just a, like one of several like small instances that show his grasp on how like his, these characters, like John kind of starts complaining about Lex because he's built a new building and it says LexCorp on the top, but it's positioned in a place in the city where so when the sun sets, a ca uh, casts a shadow of the name Lex on the building, Daily Planet. And even that is just so perfectly the type of like antagonistic narcissism uh, that, that Lex has. So I thought that was like really, really well done. But I got to ask a Superman history question to you, my Superman historian. Mm -hmm. so, sorry to put you on the spot if you don't know the answer. I talked to you up, but was <laughs> is that representation of the Fortress of Solitude with all the cr crisscrossing crystals? I know that's from the Richard Donner movies. Was that a part of comic continuity before the Donner movies? Or is that a, like a visual 
iconography we've gone back to from that franchise. Cause I always do kind of love when a singular film franchise or something leaves a lasting imprint on a comic like that. Yeah. Um, no, the Donner movies did it first. Mm. And then I think, I think John Byrne in his post crisis man of steel series might be the one that made the comics fortress look like that. Okay. Cause before then it had always, it was just like, you know, you know, a small mountain of ice with a big giant yellow metal door. Oh yeah. They, with, the with the keyhole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think was, just this crystalline thing. And then the way that it kind of informs Krypton's, you know, structures being so crystalline is, is so awesome. And a really valid way of portraying like how an alien species could have an entirely technological thing built around a system that's not rooted in like computer chips and processors like ours is, but like crystalline. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I love that those movies made that type of imprint on on the comics. Yeah, I do too. I like that a lot. Boy, in the final final scene, almost final scene with uh, uh, Superman with uh, John, and he sits down to talk to Lex and plays chess with him, which harkens back to the scene of his dad meeting with Lex in the prison cell. But again, the difference between them because um, Kal El never bothered to he wouldn't play chess with Lex. Mm-hmm. You know, he just didn't want to waste his time on that. But his son John has like, I don't know, five, seven minutes or something while he's waiting for Lex. So in that time, he like goes to the library and learns everything, reads everything he can about chess and learns how to play chess. And then he sits down and plays chess with Lex and actually puts him in checkmate. And he does all that just to like, just a little jab at yeah. Lex to piss him off. And his dad never would have done that because he he's not a jabber. But I like yeah, the fun. <laughs> I totally agree. I like that. I also like that kind of demonstrates he... He isn't his, like his dad's not a jabber, you know, but also I think it demonstrates some of John's naivete about the whole thing, which is like, you know, Lex is like, yeah, maybe your dad and I could have gotten along. We were in the, you know, we were in a game and they weren't in a game like Clark would never have played a game with him. Like in even in like the quote unquote game sense in like their lifelong battle with one another, like the best way is to not engage with him. And I think John will learn that engaging with him ultimately is like you know don't let the devil speak because he's already won in that case but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and i also love like th- this change in artist this guy should be steve Pugh should be the artist i think moving forward in the this tom taylor series because he draws john like as a very like uh, you know s- since the last issue they've got he's got the very sexy metrosexual sort of hair curl like asymmetrical <laughs> thing that i love um yeah he's looking better like it's just yeah all of the character stuff and they really he does a great job of you know clearly exemplifying how evil Lex is in this. So if you, I, I think that of all the Superman books coming out right now, I think this is probably the best one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, same thing. I wish he was doing it. And this is the first time like John's whatever his chest symbol and shoulder pad, all one piece thing is, this is the best it's ever looked. Cause of this, it looks like it's all, and it's all the Cape is joined to it. And it looks like something that I, you put on over your head or something and rest on your shoulders. You can't, you don't get that impression in his For other sure. appearances as comics. You don't, it looks like just part of the blue, blue part of the suit. Yeah, no, it, it looks real good. I have a, I have a, I had a wonderful time reading comics this week. I had, you know, Donnie Cates books and Tom Taylor books and, and Hickman books and new Batman writers. So um, riding high on comics this week, I gave that one a 9.0. Sweet. That's, that's exactly what I gave it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, from the the soaring heights of that sweet, sweet Superman story to the devil's dark depths and devil's reign number one, um, that was uh, a little improv and I didn't like it. Chip Zdarsky (laughs) and Marco Cicchetto. This is the first issue in the current 
Daredevil run Chip's been doing. He had the Daredevil series that ended. Now Devil's Reign is happening. Then it's going to go to Daredevil Woman of Woman Without Fear. That's going to be three issues long. And then I forget what the next incarnation of this is. But this is just oh. this chapter in his Daredevil run. Gosh, I didn't realize Daredevil was ending to become this. I And I, I could be mistaken. Maybe it's about to end or maybe it just ended. But I, I feel like, yeah, this was the bridge between the new Daredevil series. But I also could totally be mistaken. Don't. I just order comics. I don't know. Um, more to that point, I actually was around the time Electra became Daredevil. We sold out of one or two issues of that at the store because all the speculators were like, oh, we got to get that so I can sell it for $12 on eBay. And none of the employees were able to read it. Colette also like fell off the series at that point. So I'm a ways behind. And I just thought any good comic worth its salt, you can dip in and, and like, especially if it's a number one like this. And I think that Chip Zdarsky d- wrote it super super well i didn't feel like i missed anything huge but i got like this planted a bunch of seeds for stories i was super excited to read it was like a a more logical or a less fanfare bombastic version of civil war or something it's like you know the government actually cracking down on superheroes in new york and there was some sense of gravity to that in the the kingpin so as somebody who i do believe has been current on this whole thing what'd you think of this i I liked it a lot there it's i have managed to read all those issues and it's it's a really good fits in well it's the culmin it's not well not the culmination but it ties in all those story threads because and this is all motivated by in the last issue of daredevil kingpin discovered of or looked at was looking at files in his like most top secret secret location and found one that was labeled daredevil secret identity and we opened it up the pages were just nonsense or they were blank and kingpin knew something was wrong because he's like wait i kind of remember compiling this information and it there used to be actual solid information here what happened here and somehow daredevil has messed with my mind so that really has pissed off the kingpin and leads him into the things he does this issue which is one of them is as the mayor of new york instituting this uh superhero ban i loved that way of like kingpin finding out about the the tampering with reality stuff because like you know spider-man and mary jane's marriage was erased and spider-man just wasn't able to talk about it but there was no clear indication of the way that reality had changed around that mm-hmm. and this really indicated more this idea of like well yeah kingpin had to file on his secret identity so what does making everyone forget about that do to reality what does it do to that file yeah, yeah i really like that yeah yeah it's a great yeah, take right. on it they never they never did that with one new day right and in this series i had forgotten this it was the purple man and his his children that made everyone forget that daredevil it was matt murdoch but of course just because you forget something doesn't there's still physical evidence and clues around going hey but like this file and there's got to be other stuff out there (laughs) that other people have they're going well well, they're like well what is this about i wonder something's going on here and i do love that like a lot of this does seem like not a beat you over the head with it but response to a lot of like trumpism like you Mm -hmm. know kingpin becoming the mayor that story starting around the time trump was elected or like probably starting as a germ of an idea and then now he's running for president by the end of this but he's doing it by like killing the purple man and like taking his voice from him or something and I love yeah. the role that the Thunderbolts are playing in this. They've made a new Thunderbolts team, which is a cool idea, I always think. Um, yeah. But it's a really logical one in this as well, to be rounding up heroes. Yeah, and at this, it's it's just another version of the 50-state initiative from Civil War, where mm-hmm. you've got different heroes and villains. I mean, John Walker, uh, you know, the 
the U.S. agent is on one of the teams. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same thing as like you know what Trump would have done if he could have like organized his own paramilitaristic goon squads to round up undesirables and anybody else that you know didn't agree with him. And I I don't know about the character of Kingpin's son. So I liked him in here. I don't know when that came up and who his mom is, or maybe it mentioned it in here. And I've missed the issues where Fisk has gotten married to Typhoid Mary. But like, yeah, that just happened in the previous issue. She was working basically as his bodyguard and they started getting closer and closer and got married in the last issue. And I it just, I think this is a great instance of comics. You know, everyone's intimidated by like, well, I'm behind in that. I need to catch up. It's like, you don't need to. Like, they're just fun. Comics are just fun. You can just yeah. read them. You don't have to. You're not letting anyone down if you don't get every single thing. And I, I always like to take that test. And this one really passed it with flying colors. Yeah. I, yeah. I got that impression because, yeah, everything is explained in the story. There's a brief recap on the titles page. And it's all right there. All the all the beats you need to know. You don't need to know, like, how many issues go something happened or something. Exactly. That it happened. And here we go. Um, yeah. It was really good as you had a great you know it's, we're all suckers for a great captain america moment and, oh, one so in here. Good. <laughs> and i and a great tony stark moment actually too that also makes a lot of sense even though at the same time it's like man tony you've got so many you have such a bad reputation in so many ways <laughs> you screwed up so many times but as we know in real life well that doesn't really matter plenty yeah. of people <laughs> become presidents that have all sorts all you of, need is a lot of money uh, yeah yeah <laughs> no but you're right that is one of the best cap moments that we've had in a while um ship oh my god. god there's a great thing moment i love this moment yeah with the thing. yeah oh. where he grabs the kids and dives out the wall yeah so good yeah mm. Mm. yeah it's it's a great issue and what i loved is that it touched on a lot of different characters and a lot of things a lot of times there'll be a, an event like this and you're like okay cool there's five spinoffs i don't want to read any of those this actually like all of them i kind of wanted to read i was like okay the, like the villain units i want to read about them i want to read about like dr strange over here like all of them you know were a certain amount of interesting to me and it all felt like a cohesive story that they weren't unnecessary superfluous ancillary stories so i'm looking forward to it i will be back on this book very excited to do it roman i gave this one a score let me look at my score devil's reign i gave it an 8.5 the art is also stunning i think that there is like marco chiquetto when he's on he's just amazing and i there's maybe an argument for this being a nine i gave it a nine okay there's yeah. that argument for it being a nine yeah i really liked it for a, just a brief second i was like oh we're gonna do this another version of civil war but yeah you know with such with such a good writer i mean it's the it's the kind of thing that it always is relevant yep. in probably any country but it, since i'm only familiar with america really <laughs> i've only i've only lived here it's all it's always relevant um roman let's uh let's let's take a trip to a land where uh, there's no objectivity at all i don't think anyone should listen to jeff talk about the new batman run and the Jimmy TIV <laughs> run because he's been so laden with baggage about this Jimmy TIV Batman run that for me to say I like this is just people being like, yeah, you're just spiting Jimmy <laughs> TIV. But this came out. It's Joshua Williamson's first issue. Jorge Molina, Molina is still on the art in this, which I liked a lot. It did have a, I guess I can't guarantee it, but there is an art style shift in it in my mind that is maybe related to a coloring change or an inking change. There's a real, oh, I guess it's Jorge Molina and Mikhail Janin. Um, Tuma Mori did the colors. It looks more, almost like more like Clay Man or Dan Mora to me. But um, shut up, Jeff. What did you think about this, Roman? New Batman writer. It does look like Clay Man. Um, uh, what I get? It was it was all right. I wasn't thrilled with it, but you know, I didn't like Jimmy Tiv's run 
probably for the third issue in, and then I just gave up and stopped reading it. Um, Which is unusual for you because you soldier through a lot of mediocre things. Uh, yeah, I'm still reading Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man every month. <laughs> three times um, a month. Or three times a month, yeah. Um, so I can't really compare it to that. It was all right. There was stuff in it that I like. It's funny. I don't like, I kind of don't like, even though I like Clay Man, I like Lee Weeks. And this Batman has some artistic similarities to both those, but I kind of didn't like it. He's a little too, I don't know, blocky. This is a very specific, weird complaint. He's a little too blocky in his midsection. <laughs> He's got a little winter chunk on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I like I like the basic plot. I like this big supervillain, like this costume party where the supervillains invade because nobody knows that they're not just people in costumes. Um, and, and I think there's, I'm looking through it now, and then there's like, yeah, there's a new mystery that's kind of interesting. Um, I, obviously, you and I are going to be a little bit, on top of me being happy Jimmy TV TIV is off the book because I didn't love his writing in general and plot construction and forcing new characters down my throat that I wasn't attached to. This one, we talked about briefly last week, I think, but Joshua Williamson, when we were talking about uh, Justice League Incarnate, the dude loves to play in the Grant Morrison sandbox. So like Multiversity in his other book. And then this one, it's Batman Incorporated. Yeah. And so obviously I'm excited because it's tying back to a Batman Incorporated story, which is a Grant Morrison thing. So I'm obviously like that tickles me in a spot that I'm excited to check out, although not all Batman Inc. stuff is going to be great. But it does make me excited about who the mystery of this new villain is because it makes me think maybe it'll harken back to that Morrison stuff. Yeah, I would hope. And I'm excited about that. There there were just a couple little things like like about the Bat, Batman Incorporated. Um, a couple things that didn't sound like Batman to me. Oh, because he says that the... They were known as the Club of Heroes. We teamed up from time to time, but they disbanded. And I stopped keeping track of them. And I was thinking, no, yeah, Batman, sure Batman wouldn't stop teaming yeah. track, especially when <laughs> they're right. all inspired by him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, true. Batman. You stop being a total perv that invades everyone. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you, Roman. Do you have the book uh-huh. in front of you? I do. Page seven. It's the page where on the right side, there's the Batman, Robin, and Howard ad. And on the left, it's got art um, pretty early. Um, there's a weird shot there. It starts with it saying the text of you've been extra busy lately, like mm-hmm. all the time, but none of the images in that shot makes sense to me. Are those things that have happened? The top is like Batman with these green things coming out of it, like Cthulhu things coming out of his face. Yeah. I, that was an odd panel to me. I was wondering what it was referring to. Cause like, it's got Batman kneeling and somebody in a Batman costume behind him. Looks like Jason then, Todd. Yeah. And then Nightwing and oh, maybe it is Jason Todd. But I don't know what exactly that's referring to. Yeah. I think the Batman with the Cthulhu-like things. There was a, um, I didn't read it all, but I there was like a three-issue arc, and I think in Detective Comics where there was some kind of um, virus going around that hmm. could turn people into monsters, and Batman briefly got infected with it. So I think that's what that's referring to. Huh. And I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. Um, I don't know who that monster on the left is. And so I don't know if there yeah. are things to come or things that it assumes we've read, or maybe that happened at the end of the Jimmy TIV run. And we're yeah, just totally. Well, I think that must be a Justice League story. I think this is all stuff that just happened in the last year or two. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting gap there. So, okay. I didn't, I'm glad that you also didn't know, but I, I feel exactly the same Roman. It was good. It was fine. I'm not blown away by it, but I'm very excited for a change of pace and it's going to Batman Inc stuff. So they, for whatever reason, put Batman back in his Batman Inc costume with the yellow symbol, like a symbol on his chest and the vertical lines next to it going down. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. And I, yeah, like the mystery stuff, the girl he kind of meets up with and befriends. Yeah. I don't know. 
I, I totally, and yeah, Lex Luthor's involved in something at the end. Um, I totally get not loving the art or, it, you know, having things you don't like about it. it, but it really is kind of up my Tony Daniels style uh, tastes. Like it's something that like Jeff getting into comics guy would be like, I love the way this looks. And while I do like a little bit more cartoonishly heavy things now, like a Fornes or a Darwin cook or something, um, this is shiny in a way that it's like a 21st century Jim Lee or something. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I like that way of putting it. Do you yeah, have a I'll, score for it? I'll definitely keep reading this. Um, let me look it up. It's I gave it a I gave it a 7.5. That is exactly the score I gave it. Oh, my God. We're giving, are we giving all the same scores tonight? I don't know. I, <laughs> I usually I like for the last several weeks, I've been taking about a half hour at the end instead of just like doing my score on the spot and actually trying to look through each book again and give a more because you have written your scores down. I'm trying to do a little bit more like prep scores that aren't so mm. from the hip, but um, okay, Roman. Well, now we are at uh, a, a, a crossroads, not a crossover roads. That's coming still. Are we going to um, make a deal with the devil? We're going to make a deal with the devil. If that means we're going to the X-Men corner. <laughs> sure. Why not? Okay. Let's talk we're about gonna, X-Men. We're going to make a deal with professor X. Oh, who seems like the devil these days. Let's just in a sort of lumpy battle, talk about uh, Inferno <laughs> number three, by Jonathan Hickman and R.B. Silva, Stefano Caselli, and Hellions by Zeb Wells. Final issue of Hellions, number 18. Um, what do you want to cover first? Um, well, according to the reading chart in the back, Hellions came first. You okay. That one first. Well, yeah, I, I read it after Inferno, and I was surprised that it became the final issue. I ordered a lot of this issue, and I think... I think the big part of it going into for me was that I knew that Madeline Pryor was coming back in this. Ah, you had prior knowledge. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. This is why I'll eat ice cream off your chest any day. <laughs> so, so I kept reading this being like, man, this just feels like the end of a series. But when is Madeline Pryor going to show up? I also don't know much about Madeline Pryor, but that does happen near the end. And I think it happens pretty well. But I think before that, the really interesting stuff is just the shutting down of Sinister's experiment, the Hellions. And it harkened back to the really strong reminder of the first two issues of this run, like what this book was doing and what it was serving and what excited me so much about it at the beginning, which was um, there's a little line of dialogue here that I want to find, but it's something to the effect of uh, night Nightcrawler says it. And it mm -hmm. something to the effect of like, uh the this, this hellions team he says quote is there's a symbol they're a symbol of the fact that we don't dispose of the mutants we find bothersome that krakoa is their home too and i really from the beginning of this series that's what i love like from an almost mental health perspective it's so like let's find a way for people that fit outside our definition of how people should be let's find a way for them to be useful to our society and not just deem them unacceptable and this really was the refrain of that. And I think that meaning got lost a little bit as the series went on, but I do think that it also was one of the strongest out of all of the Dawn of X books. Um, that's sort of my, my thoughts coming out of it. Well, what about you? Yeah, that's what got me. I also didn't know it was the last issue of Hellions and <clears throat> I've really enjoyed this series. But yeah, this issue, you know, the Quiet Council puts the Hellions on trial because Orphan Maker, um, one of their members and Orphan Maker is a 90s character that, has the mind of a child, but he's a full-grown adult and super strong and can be very violent, but he's mentally a child, a young child. Um, and because he, his mother figure he thought was hurt or something, oh, he was trying to get back in her good graces because he thought he, she was mad at him. Last issue, he accidentally killed some humans, and that's against one of the Krokoan laws. So the Quiet Council put the whole team on trial, well, 
had them all in shackles, but they put Orph Maker on trial and they're going to, you know, throw them in their whatever they are, the underground prison pits where they've got saber to that. Yeah. And like, and I love that Nightcrawler's speech here because that's so unevolved. That's, that's so like American style, like, you know, just throw somebody in a pit and punish them and forget about them, even though they're, you know, they, yeah, they did something wrong, but figure out a way to help them when it's somebody that's, that's mentally a child. He doesn't, I mean, he's scared and he knows he did, did wrong and he shouldn't have done that. But, you know, it's just such a short-sighted, unevolved, stupid thing to do. Um, oh, and the rest of what Nightcrawler said here, uh, can't we see Peter's violence as a sickness to be healed? Exactly. Can't we be the first to do to do that? As it said, those whose, those whose violence you don't understand have often seen horrors you can't imagine. Which, again, that's something else that's happened in these X books where I'm like, you know, Magneto's right there. He's a survivor of Oswich. Um, he should really identify that with that and be compassionate toward that. And he's not. <laughs> yeah. And it, it bugs me. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, but I actually, as, as that line of dialogue came up, I pictured you responding to it. I, that was a very <laughs> Roman line to me. I was, I was excited to talk about it. I also like, I think it's empath is the guy in this. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. The shitty guy, but he goes yeah. back to his family and they're all like, Oh, fuck you. You're off building, you know, saving Krakoa. Like you can't just come back in here. Like you stole our name. I'm going to slug you, slug you in the face. And then he's just sitting there and he has to use, he uses his powers to then make them excited because he can ma- manipulate those emotions. He uses his powers to make people excited that he's back. And then his face just, just sadder and sadder as they're like, yeah, you're yeah. back. We love you. <laughs> like that's great comic book storytelling of just like you're doomed by your own curses. But excited yeah. for Madeline Pryor stuff too, because she's super hot. And I love that yeah. Mr. Sinister is doing more stuff. Yeah. I love that scene with empath too. And I'd forgotten that. Cause at first I was like, why are these people all in the same costume? And I forgot that's the original Hellions. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten that that was the team he was on and they were called the Hellions. I think Emma Frost formed them originally in the nineties. Um, and they all had that, that garish purple pink <laughs> costumes. <laughs> so so it was nice to have a reminder about that. Um, I gave Hellions an 8.5 because I, I thought it was a really great end to a book that's been very good. And I think that if the art was like a, maybe a little bit more unique and special, it's a book that would have really kind of set itself apart from most of the pack of comics. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that's very true. Um, I gave it a... Looking at my list. Dun, 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 dun. Where is Hellions? I gave it a 9. Wow. This is how you know that they're genuine responses because we don't just have them ready to yeah. go. Da, 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 da. I can't remember the Jeopardy, <laughs> the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> um, dum, 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 dum. There we go. Yeah. Um, Inferno. This one mostly deals with learning that the Omega Sentinel is actually from the future of, I think, Moira's second life. And they went back in time in that life and then traveled forward in that life. And then was sent back to this moment through these technological deities that we've seen in House and Powers. And there is a six page timeline graph of alternate timelines. And there is Nimrod the lesser and Nimrod the greater, which we learn the origin of that because one is a more complete Nimrod that came back and appeared in time earlier and is therefore superior. It just titillated my analytical fiction brain in such a deep way. We've got like Cypher. We learn this in a flashback from the get go when Xavier drops him off. He's like talking to Kako. He's like, well, seems like he's up to something bad. Like, we've got to make contingencies so that he'd put Warlock into Kakoa so that they could actually always be monitoring so there's none of these secret... Like, it's just that, like, Hickman, this is what I've been waiting for with House and Powers is, like, the guy built a chessboard 
And then we spent like two years being like, can't wait to see this chess game played out. And because of the pandemic and then the creative shift, we haven't gotten to see that chess game. And this is where the chess game seems to be happening. I was all about it, Roman. What did you think? Yeah, <clears throat> I really love this issue. Um, all of those things finally being revealed. I mean, I loved, absolutely loved the fact that in the beginning, um, Doug Ramsey and Warlock with Krakoa, the three of them figured out, you know, we don't, none of us really trust Charles Xavier that much. So they figured out a way to first create a, a secret um, organic construct out of Krakoa that Krakoa creates where Professor X and Magneto can keep their secrets and even Krakoa is not aware of it. But they made Warlock kind of the, the nervous system of Krakoa. So Warlock always has access to that. So they, so Doug and Warlock and Krakoa know the secrets that the professor and Magneto are keeping. I, I just love the way they doled that out slowly in the story and revealed that. I, yeah, I totally agree. And, and so much of my love for this Hickman arc of this whole thing has been kind of the awareness that I know these things are coming. And many people do. I'm not special, but like, yeah. you can feel that he has things, dominoes waiting to fall as other dominoes fall. Yeah, and I love the conversation here with Professor X and Magneto and how um, Magento says that mm -hmm. uh, maybe the hardest thing is that Professor X brought him around mm. to his way of thinking. But the very next page, it seems like the professor is saying things that Magneto used to say. Right. Yeah, we've. <laughs> I know. I and, know. And, so good. Yeah, and I and I like and I still like that that and Magneto is smart and, and smart enough to realize. And he's the voice of reason here. That's like, you know, Charles keeps on saying we still have control. And like, you know, it's like, keep telling yourself that, but mm -hmm. we probably don't. <laughs> yeah. It, and again, it's almost a joke. There's six pages of a timeline in this. <laughs> Many people would say that is dumb. I love it. I, it's like what excites me about Hickman stuff. I think it's just <laughs> absolutely incredible. It's so thought out. So incredible. Um, yeah, and is. Moira is with Destiny and Mystique now, and she's going to get her shit wrecked. And Charles and Magneto thought they were going to go find her, and they find her severed arm. And then Nimrod shows up, and there's a real serious sense of foreboding. It, yeah, it's everything I was wanting from this X Men book. I'm just sad that it was spaced by two years of content that didn't add a tremendous amount to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same, and I'm also surprised. I mean, with Hickman's writing, it's I, I. I really love Destiny and Mystique. I mean, Me they're, too. they're like my favorite mutant couple. <laughs> and I never would have thought that would happen. I know. It really is. They're doing that same thing where like the mutants are kind of despicable, but loving them. Um, what was your score for that? That is tied for my highest score of the week. Oh, wow. Um, boy, I wrote down an eight originally, but boy, talking about it, looking back through it, I'm going to give it a nine. I gave it a 9.5. I could, wow. I mean, like I had to, I, I finished it. It was the first book I read this week. And then an hour or two ago, I was like, I'm going to revisit it because I don't remember exactly what had happened. And then I remembered like all the stuff about the Omega Sentinel being funneled, their, their intelligence being funneled back in time. So we have multiple realities and then time travel within those realities. So li like there's life 10A and life 10B. Like, fuck yes. Absolutely yes. Give me that. But yeah, this is such great. Like, I don't know. Would you say hard sci-fi? I would say hard sci-fi. I would say hard sci-fi. And then um, because, you know, sci-fi is the idea of taking a science idea and extending it into the future and extending, you know, possibilities. Yeah. But then it's also got such almost fantasy overtones right if, if that's what superheroes are right like yeah. and um it's just the perfect blend of that perfect it, is. Blend of, it yeah. is and yeah some of that some of, along the way especially during the 
Ten of Swords, um, got away from that. I'd forgotten, but like when I turned the page and got to the the Orchis Forge, mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that's on like the well surface. I don't know the, of the sun. I was like, that is so cool. Master Mold's <laughs> head as a satellite circling the sun. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so good, so good. Um. Okay, well, as my internet connection starts to get a little bit laggy, just a quick second. Uh-oh. All right, Roman. Well, the book that tied my score of the week at a 9.5 was Crossover number 10 by Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw, but also secretly with pages by Brian Bendis and Michael Avon Oming. I dipped into this much like I was just talking about with... Uh, a different series, the Daredevil one about just being able to dip in after having missed things. I was several issues behind on crossover and this issue. I thought I could just dip into because you guys got me all fired up about it. And it's like a meta mess of, I don't really know. I think maybe I actually benefited from being out of the loop for several issues. Cause this seems like a, an entirely different comic book from the one I read in volume one of like a dome and a girl and a baby in a comic shop, but we've got comic writers are getting murdered. And um, I just think this is maybe some of the most fun, ridiculous over the top stuff you could have in comics. What, what is your read on this thing? It really is. And it was, it was a secret to me because I didn't read the credits page that Bendis was actually the one writing the the pages, satirizing Bendis. Um, It is, it is almost a different comic in a way. The only thing they mentioned here about the dome even is the fact that it's it's expanding which means that it's losing some integrity and some of the comic creations inside the dome are escaping into apparently the real world our world maybe and uh there's this prison where this warden who i don't even remember from previous issues has co- escaped comic book characters locked up in there and it's all related to the mystery of about killing comic book artists and writers <laughs> somehow but i think so much for me of the fun that like exists in this book is all of the insider baseball stuff like i don't think that this book is probably successful if you're somebody who's just coming into comics like a comic shop that's right. like yeah get me the new batman and this but like being like oh man that's a galactus celestial laying in the city there or looking in the background and being like oh man that guy's walking spawn to a prison cell or oh, this is written and drawn by the team that did Powers with the characters from Powers interviewing the writer of Powers. <laughs> and then, like, I love the scene where they're like, they killed... And the artist, Homing showed up there, too. Yeah, to do that is insane. Um, I love the bit where they're like, oh, my God, they killed Chip Zdarsky. He's like, oh, my God, no. And they're like, and they killed Brian K. Vaughn. He's like, oh, no, we came up together. And they killed Scott Snyder. And he's like, eh. <laughs> yes, no reaction <laughs> right it's that's funny too that galactic celestial thing is laid in the wreck of the city and it's its head exploded because my first thought was oh it's it's ultraman <laughs> oh yeah yeah um it's and there's and there's some close-ups where they're referring to like all because some deranged god deranged god who we know is the writer of this comic itself it was funny because it looks because at first you only see like the mouth and the disheveled long hair and the beard and everything. And you're thinking, wow, that's kind of Alan Moore-esque. What connection he's making or trying to say about him and Alan Moore or just about, you know, deranged comic book writers in general. Or <laughs> Yeah. I love the idea of just the statement of like, is he really a big enough 
egotistical asshole to write himself into his own comic and it's like whether it's donny cates or alan moore it's the same thing oh uh yeah don yeah, yeah donny cates i said yeah. chip sadarsky earlier yeah. but in the comic <laughs> but yeah i i think that it could hit i think if you know a ton about comics you're a comic scholar this might feel a little sophomoric if you don't know anything about comics i think this would be a thing that you're just like i don't know what the hell this is but right for what I, my relationship with comics, I think this is just about perfect. <laughs> it, it may be a little confusing for issue to issue, but yeah, it's a fun read. Um, there's some, all right. There's some Blade Runner references. The character Bendis does that are just crack me up. <laughs> yeah, the Blade Runner references are pretty funny. Um, well, we're going to see how this next bit goes, everybody. My internet is sort of falling apart. So if this is the end of the podcast, just forgive us. Um because it's because my internet is falling apart at 9.30 at night in a condo community. There's no reason that should be happening. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you real quick, what, what did you uh, score, Corrette? Oh, yeah. Sorry. That one I gave a 9.5 as well. That was my tied <laughs> score. I just think for like the amount of fun yeah. that I had reading it, it was a it just like kept me guessing and made me think it was ridiculous and over the top. And I loved it. Cool. Cool. What about nine. you? Nine? I gave it a nine. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. weird that we're having internet problems because right now it's I mean last night was hellacious winds and my power was out for like eight hours and, and but tonight, you know, it, I think it's raining a little bit. But I don't know why things are going wonky. Oh, it's just my own house. I don't know if it's the walls or what, but I have to ask my amazing Samantha partner to turn her phone off and not watch any videos on the internet. And I have to have my phone off <laughs> and just preserve the tiny bits of bandwidth that we have. Um, young man, young man in the Christmas sweater with your hand is, up. Is that me? Am That's I, you. Am I the special one? <laughs> Step on up on the stage here. Gather around our Christmas fire and... Uh, Let's talk some comics, buddy. It's so Will. warm and toasty in here. Oh, it's you're not lying. I need you guys to put an extra Yule log on. Uh, I'm crackle, sitting crackle, on a crackle. Yule log. <laughs> um, Will Elmer, thank you for joining us. Thank you for pulling yourself away from your uh, email keyboard and your Ted Lasso rewatch long enough to join our comic book podcast. You no, know, I spend a lot of time um, researching numbers. Oh. So it was good. I could squeeze you guys in here from looking up, you know, 252, 253. <laughs> Uh, Will's favorite movie is Jim Carrey in the number 23 or whatever. Number 23. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, Will, we, Roman and I just finished our discussion about crossover number 10. Uh, I loved it. And we were sort of joking about, I'm not sure if you read it. Absolutely. I did. It was, it was going to be a buckshot book. Cause I was okay. almost well, absolutely gonna... certain you guys wouldn't have read it. Cause I don't think you guys read the last one. I have been behind Roman has been on board, but I've been behind yeah, for a probably. while. Okay. Um, but I just decided to get on board and I loved it and I can't wait for it to be a part of your buckshot. But I have a follow-up for it. You were just at Emerald City Comic Con and you met and saw and talked to Donny Cates. So you can tell us, is Donny Cates' beard that long right now or is it just an overt Alan Moore reference? It, I think it's an overt Alan Moore reference, but I okay. think it's where Donny Cates is headed. If you look in the background, of his cell you can see his young um, body man shot. all of the pictures in the background i think those are the pictures that litter donny cates's uh instagram because there's like several pictures that look very familiar mm -hmm. to me that uh that show up on his instagram so uh like him and of his uh his fiance his or his wife they recently uh, got married yeah that's what i thought um, um okay so he's not that bearded yet no but the the bit about like is he that like egotistical to write himself into his own comic. I assume you guys completely spoiled 
yeah um the end of the book but i would say that spot on donny cates like donny cates knows donny cates better than anybody else because that's he's just got such a like a ridiculous celebrity status um especially at emerald city i mean just in general like you can you can tell from the way he writes or you know the way he posts on instagram but man at emerald city this is the second time i've gotten a book signed from him and he's he's the guy who's got like you know like velvet rope up for people to line up to get his autographs and he's got people working he's got an entourage with him wow um and you know, I rolled up to get his autograph. Like he was supposed to be there from four to six. And so I thought, I'll get that, let that, let that first crowd go. And I'll get there about five o'clock or so. And I came up at like maybe a few minutes after five. And he was standing up with Ryan Stegman and he's like, All right, we're out of this bitch. And I was just like, Hey, hey, hold on, guys. Do you got time for one more? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he 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 took off into the night to go have fun because the crowds were not big enough for him. Oh, wow. He's like, I need cocaine and more excitement than this. But um, well, I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, let's move to the final book before Buckshots, which is we've got our guest, which is wonderful because I know they're a Mark Russell fan. I happen to know they got this book a little bit early because of Emerald City. However, you've been working your tail off. So I hear you're only a portion of the way through it. But One Star Squadron by Mark Russell. I knew this was a Mark Russell book. But it wasn't until I actually opened the first page, I was like, this is not only a Mark Russell book, but it's a Steve Lieber book. And listen, we know that that guy's the whole package on this podcast. Um, Roman, what'd you think about One Star Squadron? This was like, I've been waiting for a sort of return to Wonder Twins form with Mark Russell. And uh, this was pretty close to that for me. I love, I loved it. I mean, right from the first page when there's a, the two bottom panels or outside the the Hall of Justice for some reason, Hawkman's running around on a Segway. I mean, it's Hawkman. <laughs> a Segway. And then the next panel, like Condor doesn't wear a shirt. He's got that weird leather strap wing thing. <laughs> right yeah. away, I was like, okay, I love it. Those two jokes. When was the last time we had a Red Tornado main character in a series? That's like one of my favorite like bits about this. It's been a long time. Yeah, has it been since when he was the mentor for the one of the team Titans teams in the old JLA mountain. Oh, that was like Jeff Johns era. JLA. Yeah. That was like what? 20 years ago. I don't know. 15 oh years. Probably, ago. probably was like 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah. This is just Mark Russell being Mark Russell doing social commentary with DC characters that are low tier enough that you can kind of do whatever you want with them. And then it takes a pretty Mark Russell turn and kind of the final third dealing with some kind of depressing stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Sorry. And there, my internet another is another inset. I, they have a commercial. I, Roman, you're kind of cutting in and out a little bit. I, I know. I, mean, I was you cut out before oh. and then I heard leather straps and then I got excited and got oh. pulled right back in. And... I was I'm convinced it's my internet, but now I'm starting to worry if maybe it's Roman's internet that is I'm lagging out of or something. Um, huh. I, don't, I have had a flash on the screen a couple times of un, instability. Oh my God. And, well, and listen. Dog, and a doggy. <laughs> as someone who's worked with you for nearly a decade now, oh. moments of instability <laughs> is as much as we could hope for. So I think we should, in the interest of not Very having pretty. this whole thing fall apart, I think we should get scores and Will's take on the first portion of this before we go into buckshots. How do we feel about that? Just in case this whole thing tornadoes out. 
I know Will's <laughs> nodding his head over there, and he says yes. Will, what do you think of One Star Squadron? So I only got through like the first half, as you as you mentioned, because I was I started reading it, and I was like, oh, there's a lot going on. Like I, I really loved the first half, and I was trying to read it before getting on with you guys because I was going to do it as a buckshot, and they're like, no, they for sure are going to talk about it. So. I'm going to read crossover instead because <laughs> they sure definitely are not going to talk done. about crossover. <laughs> this is actually all a, re- a Will Elmer revenge session with this whole <laughs> podcast has been. We talked about it beforehand. Um, I got this issue early, as you mentioned, because uh, I got to go say hi to Mark Russell, who is like the antithesis to Donnie Cates, who's just like super nice and friendly. He's like, come on up, come on up. And, you know, we had a nice chat and I said, oh, the, the guys up at the comics place in Bellingham, they have their own podcast and they just talk about, you know, how much they love you all the time. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know those guys. I, I love them. They're awesome. Tell Jeff and Django I said hi. And oh, what a sweet he man. talked about how he got to spend the whole day with you guys. And um, you gave him the keys to the city. And it was it was really <laughs> awesome. So just on that experience alone, I give this issue a 10 because Mark Russell oh. is an incredible person. It was fun to talk to him for a few minutes, but. Um, just the first part of the issue that I did read was hilarious. I really loved the the heroes for you and the little ad leading up to it um, and all the different jobs, the cameos. And <laughs> Dude, that was so, <laughs> so heartbreaking. Just like, like you could be a, a career of telemarketing. It's like, oh, buddies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the, all the, all, you know, actors and uh, celeb, you know, quasi celebrities are all on cameo now. Yeah. Um, and, and then like the final panel the, of black condor three miles an hour active five hours ago, not an escort service. Um, just beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. Um, so I can't wait to finish the rest of this issue, but I loved what I've read so far and just a phenomenal Mark Russell experience. And um, Yeah. To get to a, to met the man, that that's lucky. He really is one of my favorite comic creators to spend time with. I've been on the record. I get a little uncomfortable going up and meeting comic creators. And Mark Russell is just like, he just feels like he's one of us. Um, so one of us, one of us, one of us. Um, horror chanting from that movie. What is that movie? I only know it from The Simpsons. Oh, uh, Freaks. Freaks. Yeah. Okay. Freaks. Freaks. Todd, Todd Browning, 1932, I think. Okay. All right. Uh, Roman, what did you give uh, One Star Squadron? I 8.5 that thing. I gave it 9.5. I, I really loved it. And the fact, you know, because I remember reading the comics, action comics when Gangbuster was introduced. So then seeing him here and what's happened, I was like, oh man, this is this is hits hard. It it hits hard. I don't want to spoil the second half for Will because it it does it hits hard. It it oh, goes right, from right. the comical uh Mark Russell stuff to the like emotionally hitting Mark Russell stuff. So you're gonna I know that you're gonna dig the, the second half of it. Yeah. Um, but that's not why we're here. The reason that we're here, everyone, is to to buckshot around. We're we're one Django down, but we're one will up, and we're not gonna undo the buckshot uh segment because we we love it. But I'm not going to do that thing where I just throw Will to the fire. Um, I'll just do a small plug while my phone turns on so I can use my camera. Uh, Will and I do Will and I do a podcast about Ted Lasso every week. You can catch us on that podcast. Um, but now I'm afraid to ever podcast again because my internet is so laggy. And I think that only the listeners will hear what I'm hearing. And it is a very... <laughs> It is a very glitchy audio. Am, am I still coming into you, Claire? You're still coming in. Even my audio is just fritzing. There's just something weird in the air. But we're going to get through it all. Because why, Will? We're professionals. What? But we are professionals. We're professional amateurs. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Look at our uh, shirts. So uh, on your <laughs> podcast plug, I will just say, um, listen, if you're not going to listen, you know, if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, listen to three episodes. There's one episode with Colette. 
and she's incredible. We had an episode come out this week with Nathan Butcher, also incredible. And next week, we're recording a Back to the Future Christmas episode, not Back to the Future the movie. This is a silly segment on the podcast. You'll have to listen to find out. <laughs> but we're going to go to the future. And we're going to talk about the Christmas episode because Jeff and I love Christmas and we love Ted Lasso. And there's an amazing Ted Lasso Christmas episode that we're going to talk about this week with our dear friend Django, if everything works out. I think he should, plan. Be, should be back. In he might even be in Portland hanging out with Mark Russell while we're doing this. Um, and uh, and Roman, I think once we finally get Apple TV figured out for you, you'll be able to finish season two of Ted Lasso. Yeah, I have two episodes left. Oh, that's got to be very tantalizing. <laughs> I'm just well, going to bring my phone in and I'm going to stand in front of Roman in the shop. <laughs> like like uh, John Cusack in, um, uh, gosh, what's anything. the name of that movie? Uh, say Anything. Say Anything, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to stand there with my phone above my head. Uh, Do you have either Apple? at the comic shop or like outside of Roman's, like, uh, you know, uh, his, his residence and just go, Roman. And his, his residence would be perfect to be looking down on someone in his yard holding and, up a phone. Yeah, I've got an upstairs I'll apartment. An, I'll use an iPad instead if that's the oh. case. <laughs> Will's tech savvy. Hey, Will, I'm going to, out of respect, slowly tell you that very soon now, I'm going to be giving you 90 seconds to talk about comic books this week. I'm going to do it in like three-ish seconds, which means now we're at about two. And <laughs> that means that now you're going. All right. I'll do this as hopefully faster than last time. And maybe these are books you've already talked about. Most assuredly, this first one, Batman number 118. Uh, first Batman mainline issue I've read in quite some time. Uh, I really liked it a lot. There was a whole firework celebration at the beginning because Jimmy <laughs> T is gone. Everyone was excited. <laughs> Clown Hunter and Ghostmaker magically have left town. Um, there was a really fun costume party of billionaires dressed as villains. And, you know, it was fun kind of looking through and picking out the different eras that everybody, um, you know, was playing different versions of Jokers and Riddlers and everyone else. Um, interesting in introduction to the villain of Abyss. Love seeing Batman Inc. back in the fold. And kind of cool to get Lex Luthor showing up there uh, at the end. Liked it a lot. Smooth uh, halfway through. Next, uh, Avengers 750. This is a book from last week, but this book took me like two weeks to read because it's <laughs> a thousand pages long and a million things happen in it. I loved every second of it. Doom Supreme and the Multiversal Masters of Evil, the Council of Red, which is Mephisto instead of a Council of Reeds, Omni Avengers, Multiversal Vengeance, Kazar, the Savage Herald of Galactus, a guy named Orb with a giant eyeball for a head. I can't wait for Avengers Forever. Awesome. Crossover number 10, book that's already incredibly meta. This issue was so meta, I went cross-eyed reading it. Uh, Django said last issue was a Bendis issue, but this issue we got five pages written by Bendis, interrogated by his own powers team. Oh, right on the finish line. Well done. I, the final page two of Donny Cates. Beautiful chef's kiss. I did belabor the point. Like the, the Bendis oming scene with the powers characters interviewing their creator written by them, like that was... One of the most, if you like meta stuff, it was way up there. Um, oh, when we talked last time too, I said I had never read Bendis and I'm oh. now three fourths of the way through Bendis's first Daredevil omnibus. Oh, wow. So I've read a pretty fair amount of Bendis now. And then I got to read even more Bendis uh, in this issue and I'm digging what I've read so far. And I do think that you will love powers when you inevitably get to that one day. We also liked Batman quite a bit and uh, your fireworks sentiment uh, was met heartily. Well done. <laughs> um, 
Roman, dear, dear can savage. I give, can, can I give those scores? Oh, you fucking oh, yeah, yeah. better, Will. Get in here. Absolutely. Are we doing no decimals? Are we doing decimals? You can do whatever you want. You're a guest here. You can Ooh, use any metric that exists. You can only use decimals. All right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Avenger 750 a 9. I'll give Batman a 9.5, and I will give Crossover a 10. Nice. Um, Sweet. I also really liked that Avengers book. It, I didn't. I kind of glossed over it last week, but it was filled with just cool stuff. And yeah, the Infinite Council of Red and the the, the villain crew. Um, I'm all about it. So Roman, awesome. are you ready to to do this thing to spin this wheel of tomorrow? I I suppose so. I'll, I'll all right. Try. I'm not as organized as Will, so we'll no, see how Will this goes. Is, I don't know if you know about Will, but he's a GD professional <laughs> amateur, and I love it. All right, Roman, you're off. Yeah, we just wing this shit. Um, <laughs> you know, my one of my favorite books this week was The Crimson Cage. It's a new first issue from Upshot Comics, AWA Upshot by John Lees and Alex McCormick. And it sounds goofy as hell. It's a combination. It's a professional wrestling story, but in the in the format of Macbeth. So and it's done so well on both those fronts. Uh, this wrestler, he's an up and comer. He's going to be put over um, to take over some, you know, national championship title. Uh, and the guy who has it now, who's basically kind of a Ric Flair character, tricks him into thinking he's going to help him do this. And they totally takes advantage of the guy. And, and this wrestler thinks he's going to be put over his girlfriend. Who's kind of like, uh, uh, Oh, miss. What's her name? I forget now in the wrestling, um, Charlotte Flair. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth. Yeah. Miss Elizabeth. Oh. Um, she's mm-hmm. always whispering in his ear, trying to, to get him to go on. And it's just like lady Macbeth with Macbeth. And they're in Louis, the swamps of Louisiana. And there's like their version of the three weird sisters. And it's great. It, it totally reads like Shakespeare. There's, there's this, you just know this tragedy is coming and this guy's going to end up getting into all sorts of bad shit. And the art is awesome. It's my, it was one of my tens for the week. It was not to spoil it, but it was in talking before and it was your only 10 of the week. So we see. Th- oh your- yeah. I think it was, it was my only 10 of the week. Yeah. Yeah. It took some- every ounce of energy not to interrupt you when you said Ric Flair with a giant woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should have. Yeah, that so, would have been fine. <laughs> the fact that we can have anybody on this podcast that can commiserate with us about wrestling is awesome. Will, thank you for being here. Roman, while you were talking, I had my idea for next because we are going to be taking the next through Christmas off of the podcast. We mentioned that earlier. Oh. Um, so we won't be doing it the next two weeks, but then I had to do something. I had to think in my head. It, I just feel bad leaving people alone. Cause when my favorite podcasts take two weeks off for Christmas, I'm always like, how am I going to get through two weeks? I do think that next week we will probably do an all buckshot episode where will will be on it. Andrew Carlson's never done a buckshot. We're going to get Andrew on here. Nathan Butcher, never seen you do a buckshot. You're going to buckshot. Colette's going to buckshot. Maybe I'll just be recording 90-second segments on my phone with coworkers at work, but I'm just going to edit together like 10 buckshots, and that'll be next week. Maybe it'll be more work than even doing a normal podcast, but that's just what I do. I commit to things that are stupid. Can I throw out a a crazy addition that you can just edit out if you don't? Yeah, I'm not gonna, but yeah. <laughs> Can we make it a best of the year buckshot? Oh my god! Or do you want oh to be mysteries that are god. coming out? What if? What if we do both? How about we? Do, since everyone's going to be reading the books anyway, it'll be a buckshot for that week's comics, and then we'll give an extra thirty seconds for people to talk about their book of the year. Ooh, I love it. Two minutes, ninety seconds for the week, thirty seconds for their book of the year, whether it's an issue or a graphic novel. You heard it here first, folks. Jeff's backed himself into a corner, and that's what he loves <laughs> to do. 
Um, since right I don't, up against the ring post. If, right? if you don't get a chance to record it, can everyone just come in and yell at you for 90 seconds about comics and then 30 <laughs> seconds me? about their book? Do you of know the year? about my job? <laughs> that is that's my job. Um, I'm gonna hold the phone up and press the button now and then just not look at it and try and be su- surprised when it's when it's my turn. Okay. Uh, the book in my stack remaining to talk about that I loved. I'm gonna turn it over. Uh, the most of the remaining books is Dark Knight Steel. I love this book. Yeah. We didn't talk about this on the main podcast. It's the other Tom Taylor book this week. The art's fantastic. Um, it it's not. I didn't love it as much as this other, like, a Superman book that came out this week. And I think that it's because this is a very like foundational sort of tendon. It's connecting of this new mythos that we're following in this medieval DC continuity. The first issue was very bombastic. We met a bunch of characters, but this one was very like filled with connective tissue. We met some things, put things were pushed forward, but there were fewer revelations, but the things that we did get to see, I absolutely loved. And more than anything, it just made me really excited to be invested in this sort of medieval DC universe with the house of L against the house of lightning uh, is Black Knight's or Black Lightning's family and Supergirl and Wonder Woman and people losing their mind. And I loved that uh, very much. I was very excited for Frontiersman number three, which is counter to basically everything I've been saying about Patrick Kendall going into this, but it's been kind of fun to watch him figure being a decent human being out. And this was actually my least favorite of the three issues that have come out so far. I think two is my favorite so far. But uh, we'll talk about that series more as it goes on. And then Buffy, The Last Vampire Slayer. I was very excited to read this because I love Buffy very much. And I thought 50 years in the future, old lady Buffy sounds good. But it was not treated as well as like an old man Logan in Marvel has been. It was like, you're writing old lady Buffy like a 14 year old. Um, and Isn't that was that what the you end want of my... out of Buffy, though. But like you kind of do. You kind of do. If it's 25 year old Buffy, you're like, oh, she sounds like an 18 year old, but it's funny. But then if she's like 75, you're like, man, you're a 75 year old, but you sound like a 16 year old. Like I would have hoped at some point that you were going to mature. Like I would hope at some point it would. And like the the pop culture reference that they made were so weird. At some point, there's two like arguing and she's like, oh, I don't mean for you to be like Kanye and Taylor. And it's like that's not even current for nowadays. Like that was like, that was a lot of like, I'm going to let you finish was a lot of years ago. So it's like, who is your, it's almost felt like a 45 year old person writing a book for 20 year olds, but not knowing what references, but then also add the layer of like, it's actually 70 year old. Like, I don't know. It was all just a little, a little much. Um, I gave dark Knights of steel an 8.0 i gave buffy a six and i uh didn't score frontiersmen because i didn't quite finish it and i kind of lost interest by the end but i was running out of time so those are my scores that was my buckshot will what do you got i i mean i already gave you my buckshot but i can give yeah, you another yeah, I one just, i could just but, see uh, your face it I, looked like there was a will thought I, bubbling no it's just surface. i'm just sitting here thinking like oh i can't wait to listen to this and hear what he had to say about the superman son of cal annual because that one was really mm-hmm. good that's it was probably really my good. favorite issue of that entire uh, Tom Taylor series. Spoilers, so far. it's ours also. It was, uh, it was, it was really good. I liked was. it a lot. Yeah, that was uh, half a point below my highest score of the week. So um, fantastic. that'll all make sense in retrospect. I'm just thrilled that at this moment in our lives, the three of us are talking and no one is like lagging out or freezing and I'm not hearing an echo of my own voice. So if you're at this point in the podcast with us and you were experiencing what I think you were experiencing, which is what I was hearing. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for being a part of this 251st episode. It's so cool 
to have episode 251 be the season finale of season one of the papcast and now we're 250 was the season finale yeah it was but Django wasn't here this week and it felt really bad to make the season premiere be without (laughs) we just add on an extra episode so this is like a post-credit scene it's a comic this is like in Ted Ted Lasso season two when they were like hey can you just add two more episodes one of which is the Christmas two weeks later three months later you know like um but no uh in a world where like this is the only post-credits scene you know eternals had two i think even ghostbusters had two ghostbusters had two. Oh, i can't wait to talk to you about ghostbusters hey can I you can't. believe i've written 251 emails to this podcast have you really <laughs> no. no wait no you i was wait, that's how many episodes there are. i was like you didn't even come in till 151 or something okay god i was very nervous about that for a second um well hey everybody thanks for sticking with us through here will Thanks for coming to just pile on uh, and have an extra buddy on board this week. Uh, great. Roman. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, you're you're wonderful. I was thinking about this morning. I was like, I don't want to I, I kind of want to surprise him with it almost and just see how I don't want to pressure him into reading comics. But um, uh, it was on my mind this morning. So we'll have to get Andrew on here and some other buckshots. Roman, thanks as always for being uh, the Batman to the Robin sidecar that I live in. You look good <laughs> behind a metallic steed. What can I say? Mm. Um, you can shoot a horse. Us- I ride. You can shoot us an email. Will, how do people send us emails for this podcast? You seem good at it. You know, <laughs> you could send an email to Jeff at thecomicsplace.com because sometimes if you send it to info at comicsplace, thecomicsplace.com, it gets lost in uh, everything. And definitely don't put any like poll requests on your email to the podcast <laughs> either. <laughs> Just send to Jeff at, the, at thecomicsplace.com um, and, you know, title it with the episode number or whatever it is that you're excited to talk about. Yeah, I read everything that goes in there. Um, so it'll it'll come to me. Uh, everyone, positive feelings for Django, who's in Portland celebrating vacation. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you, Django, as you're taking a small soiree away from the work experience. I hope that you're doing all right, enjoying uh, the Portland city with your loved ones and meeting comic store owners and comic creators. We're just I was going to say, I don't, I don't believe Django's actually not working. So if he's networking with other comic book store owners, then he's still kind of technically working, but maybe that allows him to do his vacation thing. At the There's same time. something about a joke between networking and not working, but I don't, I don't know for sure what it is. Um, yeah. I was trying to think of a joke about combining Django's name with Portlandia somehow, but okay. yeah, I couldn't yeah. get there. No one would want to go there. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us. In the interest of creating maybe a season finale, uh, what is around the corner? What's the new intro song? Intro song. What are we going to talk about? Is Will replacing Django f- for sure moving forward? Is this the new crew? All of this and more on episode one uh, of season uh, two of the Perfect- Perfectly Settled podcast. And we'll figure that out um at the new year we'll figure it out the new year we've got it all on lockdown we've got it all good uh i am always am jeff thank you for hanging out with us uh, our special guest this week hey i'm will and uh jeff anytime you want me to read comics and come and talk to you about <laughs> them on here there is zero pressure involved so i will be here just turn that will ted will lasso signal. signal on and i will be here with my ted Lasso bro and I'm, I was waiting for Jeff. I was waiting for I was waiting for an intro from Jeff. <laughs> but I'm Roman. Um, and yeah, I'm around. I'm like I'm bear. I'm up and like thinking about something. What do you Uh-oh. think about bear? Well, I'm gonna tell you what I was thinking about. I was thinking about if you took Django, okay, and he was like 
If you're okay, so if you took Django and you put it, if you cast him in a Thanksgiving special of a television show that was a Christmas show inside of a DC continuity show, and then you had to say, hey, DC, this is Django's Christmas Thanksgiving, which Marvel character would you want him to be cast by? Now, Jeff, do that really cool thing where now we just sign out. Um, we sign out like it was a good question like Django does, except they're always stupid when he does it because he's a stupid man. He's a stupid man who says stupid things about things. We'll see you next week. See you next week, baby. Well, I will.